This is episode 104 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 104 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Glenn Sutherland on the show. And Glenn Sutherland is a name you might find familiar if you're used to listening to his podcast. He has a podcast called A Canadian Investing in the United States. And uh, he's a pretty successful investor. He's got a very interesting story. And he is just all over the place in terms of his areas for investment. The guy has a lot of systems that are incredibly useful. And uh, what I really wanted to do, and I actually put pushed this episode up in my queue. I just recorded it uh, because it's very relevant to me is I wanted to dig in how does he look at new markets and how does he decide what markets he wants to invest in, um, what what key elements to look for and how he's going to be able to set up teams in those areas. Because as investors, we all have that challenge that uh, it's, it's hard to want to go into a new market when you have everything established in your existing market. And I'm definitely guilty of that. I'm very well set up where I invest and it makes me not really want want to invest the time into new markets. However, now given what's happening in Canada, I'm actually very interested in the prospects of investing down south. So I thought this was an incredibly well-timed discussion. I uh, sent Glenn an email and he was kind enough to jump on this podcast session. So I really do think you're going to get a lot of value out of this. There's a lot of intricacies and differences in investing in the US versus investing in Canada. And what's shared here should help you get an idea of what you need to know to at least start thinking about the subject. And then of course, Glenn's got his podcast, which is just a wealth of knowledge, which I'll be diving into as well, to get more perspective on Canadians investing in the US. So if you've ever thought about investing out of country, I'm sure there's plenty of useful knowledge to be had here. As always, just make sure that if you are new to this podcast, you head right back to the beginning and follow it all the way through. I do think you'll get a lot of value out of doing that. And if you'd be kind enough to leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, as well as if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that thumbs up, uh, the subscribe button and the notification bell if you haven't already done that and leave me a comment just let me know where you're watching from thanks so much without further ado please enjoy episode 104 with glenn sutherland hello and welcome to the andrew hines real estate investing podcast i have glenn sutherland on the show host of the podcast that's a canadian investing in the u.s is that what it's called yes it is right in your background there (laughs) (laughs) yeah vista print special (laughs) nice well glenn thanks for doing this yeah no problem thanks for having me well, I'm really looking forward to it. And this is uh, selfishly very relevant to me. So uh, I'm going to get all my my uh, questions out here. But uh, first off, for those who aren't familiar with you, haven't heard your podcast before, um, can you just uh, let us know what, what it is that you do as an investor? And then, of course, what the podcast is about? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I am a Canadian investing in the US. I did start with investing in Ontario, which is where I live. And I branched out into the US. And so it's kind of started off as my advent, uh, investing journey. And then I started teaching on it. Uh, so it is very educational. It's like a free educational platform. A lot of times we just taught, teach topics, short sales, how to do all kinds of different things in the States. And then I do guests where we have guests come on to, uh, you know, tell their stories. And then there's always tidbits you can pull out of everyone's stories, things that went wrong, things to avoid, you know, everyone, you, you could avoid, making some of the same mistakes. Um, and, and I tell some of my stories too. So it's same, that sort of thing. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm sure I would have some of those mistakes. I could tell you, I, I actually <laughs> invested in Ohio. My, my listeners all know this, but yeah, just probably made every mistake you shouldn't make the obvious ones. But, uh, you know, I guess that was tuition for me as I, uh, I like to think of it that way anyway. Um, so this is okay, all I have, to your... have you on my show then. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you all about the train wreck. Um, so is this all on your podcast? podcast platform where you're doing the teaching yeah yeah no we just uh that's how i started doing it and like if you listen to like episode one or episode 100 those are like really in-depth like they're little longer episodes than the typical episode but i'm just like hey how to set up llc's how to do this Mm -hmm. how to do this how to do like all the like nuts and bolts meet no stories no nothing just meet those episodes will just tell you the basics of how to get everything set up and to do it properly and then Mm -hmm. off of that we just deep dive topics so, yeah so that's in the earlier episodes like episode one to ten kind of thing no episode one and then i redid it at episode 100 because i found uh because i've been doing this show for three and a bit years so okay. after a few years you're like you know what i can episode one it's good 
but there's newer stuff. So I'm like every hundred, let's redo it. So that's every like two years, basically Mm -hmm. every two years, let's give an updated version of this whole summary. (laughs) Nice. Okay. So, um, from, uh, you know, a high level view, can you tell me a little bit about your real estate portfolio, what you have in Ontario, what you have in the U S and where? So in Ontario, I've been, uh, selling, I, I sold, my last Cambridge property, I I've, was investing in Kitchener-Waterloo and Cambridge. Um, so actually not Waterloo, but like up to the border. So Kitchener-Water- Kitchener and Cambridge, I just wanted to avoid all the licensing and stuff they have in Waterloo. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so I've sold off almost all of that stuff. Well, I did sell off all my KW stuff, and I've, uh, I just have one property left in uh, Strathroy, Ontario. I still oh, have okay. one there, but I've been, I've been unloading all my Canadian stuff because... <laughs> The way the market is right now, it's completely insane. And I can sell one property in Canada and buy like 10 in the United States. And the cash flow per property is very similar, but I can buy 10. <laughs> so, <it's>, okay. <laughs> My mindset is like right where, where you are right now. Like, so I, I actually just sold one property. I'm just about to sell another one um, for this exact reason. So I'm in Florida right now, actually. So I'm... Uh, Ooh, nice. I'm gonna be, what part uh, of Florida? What part of Florida? Naples. I'm oh. in Naples right now. So I'm going to be looking down here. Uh, I think that, well, Fort Myers is a good, uh, a good opportunity, I think. Um, yep. But I'm going to be digging, digging deeper into that. But uh, so tell me a little bit about that. So you, where are you buying that, that what you make off of one property in, in uh, Canada, it, it's allowing you to buy 10? So for those kind of numbers, you're looking at the Midwest or the South. Um, so those would be it's actually getting really hard to do that in Alabama, but the Ohio's, uh, Kansas cities, Indianapolis, those kind of places, those where I'm at. Um, I also invest in Alabama and I also invest in Northern Florida. So we have some properties in Jacksonville, uh, Palm Bay, and we're putting some offers on some Tampa stuff, but we haven't, don't have it yet. Maybe by the time this airs, we'll have it. (laughs) What do you, what do you like about Tampa? Um, it, it's Florida as a general, um, it's, it's very hot. So, um, it doesn't, for me, I, everyone has different uh, criteria for me. It doesn't work as well, uh, as a buy and hold sort of strategy. Like I like to do burrs and the, the numbers don't work as well. Cause if you look at loan to value for your sort of how to pick a market, um, so say a property, you're buying it for like $50,000, if you're going to buy it like ready, I usually do renovations too, but I say you're going to buy a $50,000 property. A lot of them will rent for like seven or $800. But if you, so it's like one and a half percent rule. Right. Um, and if, when I'm doing renovations, I'm usually looking for the 3% rule. Cause I'm going to force a lot of appreciation, buy them really cheap, but uh, you go into Florida and it's more expensive. Um, so you're looking at usually for like decent neighborhoods, a hundred thousand dollars or more. Uh, and then you put in a renovation of like 30 to 50,000 and sometimes 60, we get up to for the renovations and then we flip them. So we do flips in Florida and flips work really well in Florida. It's, um, there's a lot of demand for the, the properties there. Um, so right now we're not keeping anything in Florida. We're moving, we're rolling Florida and Mm -hmm. then we're keeping in, uh, mostly the Dayton, Ohio area. So Dayton, Toledo and, uh, Cincinnati is where we're, we're buying in, in Ohio. Yeah. I hear that those are, are pretty strong markets. Um, I had another guy on the podcast that was investing a bunch up there. I I invested in Youngstown, which was the mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it could have been good, you know, in, in all fairness, it could have probably been done right, but I certainly didn't do it right. But, uh, you you know what the hardest part is when you go into a new market that's the hard part uh and that's the hardest part is because you're gonna have to create a whole new team and that's that's literally the hardest part the biggest thing is the contractor getting a good contractor it shouldn't be as hard as it is but if you can get a good contractor and a good property almost every market i'm on like my fourth property manager fourth contractor it takes that's that's the growing pains but once you got it figured out then it's just like Repeat, repeat, repeat. And rinse repeat. and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the hard part for me to leave Ontario, like, cause I have such a great team and I have my own construction company and everything. And I, it is starting from scratch. But when the numbers just don't make sense and I'm having to force it, that's where I've just, I was just fed up with it. So, um, you know, and now, now with uh, you know, freedom being on the table. So, so now I'm down here, we got a little bit more freedom down here. Um, oh, yeah. you know, it's not a bad place to, to, you know, put in the work is, is kind of how I'm looking at it now. 
Yeah. But, so I guess you got to you know, do you, if you are you planning to come back or are you just staying there? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll have to come back at some point. We really <laughs> don't know when we're when we're coming back, um, especially as the rules get tighter and tighter at home for us to return. Um, yeah. You know, kind of that 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 changes the dynamic of this decision a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if it goes well down here, I'm totally open to going down the investor visa route you know, route and, and, uh, you know, trying to make it a more permanent move. So, um, everything's the on the table. That. What's that? I'm in the middle of that. I'm, uh, probably 90% through the E2 visa program Oh uh, yeah, to get the, to get my social and working visa and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to think, uh, I've talked to an immigration lawyer starting with like a, I think it's an L visa, if that makes sense. I'm not sure. I have to, I have to review my, there's notes. a whole lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot there's of them. Actually, I have, three episodes on the different visas on my show. Yeah. If you want to deep dive. Okay. Yeah. You know, I am going to be deep diving <laughs> into your show um, just because I think this is a very relevant topic because we're talking about, you know, for Canadians where we're not really able to get the cap rates that, that once were, um, you know, staying in the Ontario market. So if we want to look South, that's an opportunity for us. Like you're talking 3% rule, where in Ontario are you getting that? Not even in Sudbury, are you getting that? Um, it, it's hard to get the 1% rule. Like, are you going to buy a half million dollar house and rent it for $5,000 a month? No one's doing that. Right. And that's, <laughs> so student rentals, I was able to, you know, I was able to pretty consistently get like 0.65, yeah. something like that. And that was good, decent cash flow. But I mean, it's slow moving when you, when you buy for cash flow at that level um, and you're limited by our banks and the, in the amount of down payment we need to have, it, it's, uh, it's not a recipe to create a freeing amount of cash flow. So um, I've been talking about this for a while, not really loving the way the market was going in, in, in London, which is where my main investing home is um, to, to want to make a a, a move. So I guess if if you're talking about moving into a new market, what, what are your criteria? What are you looking for when you decide, Hey, this is a market I want to work in. So everything is different from every, everybody's different what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, uh, I've dealt with the Ontario Landlord Board a lot. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so for me, I'd like to avoid that uh, as much as possible. I'd like to pick a state where it's more in my advantage. They're the rulings, uh, that the pre- precedents are in my favor. So when stuff happens, it's, the likelihood is they'll side in my favor based on, because I'm not a negligent person or mm-hmm. negligent landlord. I am going to fix stuff, everything else. So I want to pick places where that's going to go. I want to pick places where eviction laws are going to go quickly. And, and <laughs> that's a big thing, right? Uh, right now, everything's kind of a mess for evictions. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I'm trying to think. The, the top I have a, a podcast episode on this as well. Really old one. I have to redo it. But um, the top, I think, six states for most landlord friendly would be uh, Texas, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Florida, and what am I? Oh, Colorado are like the most landlord friendly. You get the best yeah. evictions. But there's still lots that work really well. Missouri, Ohio, Alabama. Uh, there's, there's a whole tons of in the middle of the road. Um, so I'm looking for, you know, landlord friendly. Um, I'm looking for uh, rent to value ratios. Uh, I want to see uh, the 20% rule. So any, cause this is where you get into, if you start getting to these smaller towns. Um, so smaller towns, there might be a one horse town. Like sometimes these Amazon facilities or whatever have went to these places and people, flood there with their their money to invest in those areas and the danger is if if amazon or gm or whoever is the one employer and they have 20 percent of the population working there that one business can completely destroy you and you don't want to be in a one-horse town like 20 percent of the whole population is huge it's huge and that happens in these smaller towns, those 10,000, the 20,000, the $50,000 house towns where there's not a huge population that happens all the time. So you want to be safe. And I hear about that even in Northern Ontario, a lot of, or in Northern New Brunswick, because that's very popular in Ontario, uh, in Canada to invest in those areas. And you go and you're like, well, who is employing all these people? And you're like mines. You're like, Do you know the mines close all the time? They used to be outside of Cambridge. Or used to be mine. They don't exist anymore. Northern New Brunswick, they closed them. Like mm-hmm. in Northern Ontario, they're still running, but Things change. You don't want to be the only employer in there to be one business. You, it's not. I mean, I'm against mines. It's a. You don't want one horse town. Diversity, um, right? You want diversity. Oh yeah, you want everyone. Some of those towns now, because my mom is from Northern New Brunswick, and you go out there and you're like, what survived? You're like Walmart, 
superstore and some drugstores and that, like there's nothing else open. The main streets are vacant. <laughs> it's you, yeah. you don't want to be vet festing there. Everyone's on welfare equivalents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've seen a, I've seen a dying town, right? Youngstown sort of opened my eyes to the fact that nothing is forever. And like that, that was once a very, you know, bustling town. And then for like 70 some odd years has been dying because the steel industry sort of, I don't know, I don't know why for some reason it didn't work out there, but a lot of their steel manufacturing just went away. And, yep. uh, and they're, they're a town that's, that's been consistently seeing a decrease in population every year for a very long time. Um, that, that is such a foreign concept to a Canadian living in Ontario. You don't <laughs> yeah. see that, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of spoiled in the way that mm-hmm. every town seems to be a, a reasonably safe bet. Because even if we have a town that is sort of a one-trick pony, it's a bedroom community to another town that isn't. And yeah. That's, you know, for instance, Burlington is as a bedroom community to Toronto. It doesn't have a whole lot of its own industry, but it's got so many other towns nearby that that support it. So um, yeah. how does that factor into your deciding process? Like, are you are you looking for for cities that are smaller, but not far from the bigger cities that are diverse? Or are you yeah. are you looking yeah. for a, a very well diversified small town? Yeah, no, you 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 nailed it right there. Um, you can go into these cities, but um the, the bigger cities, especially if you get into like ones that have hit the lists online, like mm-hmm. top 10 places to invest in the United States, there is like so many people in there. There's like, if you want to do auctions or anything online, like there's so much attention. There's so mm-hmm. many wholesalers. There's so many people already hitting the same neighborhoods you're at. And just by being just outside of that zip, you could be in like a top neighborhood, but it doesn't, you know, classify as in greater it doesn't classify as indianapolis it could be a, a suburb or whatever right mm-hmm. and i do that around um a dayton too like we buy in the suburbs and stuff all around it which don't actually they don't have a zip that's dayton right or you buy toledo and sometimes that's the draw is um the school zones right mm-hmm. um the way school zones are different in the United States and Canada and Canada, it goes up to, I think the provincial level, the funding, and then it come redisperses disperses back down. Whereas in the United States, it goes up to the um, County level and then redisperses. So the problem happens is that a school zone, um, you know, so say you're in one neighborhood here and one neighborhood here um, and the houses are very similar uh, except for their, you know, one, for whatever reason, uh, some of the, the houses are worth like 50,000 in the one subdivision, but they're like 200,000 in the other subdivision. They're all paying the same tax percentage rate. So the one school board is going to get four times the amount of tax money for that school as the other one's going to get for that school. So everyone wants to be in that neighborhood. And what draws up some of those neighborhoods is you'll have like a small village, like the original village, but then they've built all these subdivisions around it, right? And so the tax dollars on those subdivisions, they're, they're based on what the uh, houses are worth. Not like a lot of these houses, you buy a $100,000 house, but you look at the appraisal or what or the assessed value, and it's worth like twenty or 30000 right? Um, so they're paying taxes on that twenty or 30000 whereas those new builds are paying it on the purchase price of those properties, right? Because they're right. new. And so there's huge tax dollars in those neighborhoods. And those schools are literally four times better than the other schools. You can look at the school ratings, and one problem I've seen with Canadians is we don't understand that. And we'll go, okay, there's this line. This school district is on one side and this school district is on the other side. I'm going to buy like literally on the road. One side of the house, the road is worth like you can pick them up cheap. One outside is expensive. And you think, oh, if I build this one and make it really nice, I can comp out against that. Mm-hmm. You might comp out, but you won't sell for that because the people want to be in that school district. You might get lucky and you might sell it to someone who doesn't have kids and that isn't important to them and they want to be part of that other district. People think they can move these lines, but they're hard lines because of school zones. And it's it's tough. Like you can move crime lines, but it's really hard to move school zone lines and it's very important to people with young kids. Okay. Uh, that's like, so, so to simplify that is, well, for one, make sure you're looking into what school zone you're in and, and always place an importance on that. Um, and so in, within the same County, you're saying there could be different lines that still yeah. separate them. 
Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so every, so people need to be uh, paying a lot of attention to that. sounds like that's probably one of those common mistakes that, uh, that are, I'm going to ask you about here. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there's lots of little mistakes like that. I, yeah. I get the calls from people like, Oh, things didn't go away. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you uh, manage your properties now when the borders locked down, I obviously can't be going across the border regularly. I mean, maybe you still have a way that you can do it, but um, what's the procedure now? Are you just set up enough in these areas that you don't need to be there? Yeah, I haven't, even before COVID, I was rarely going to the States to four properties. Um, yeah. I used to make like the yearly trip to Alabama, but it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily even see my properties um, or even drive by them. Sometimes, a lot of times it was to, for connections and shake hands yeah. and talk to the people. Um, and so with a lot of it, it's property, like you're doing it from a distance. Uh, I know some people will still self-manage from Canada. I I believe in using property management. So mm-hmm. um, all property management is not the same. Uh, all contractors are not the same. Um, <laughs> so that's what I do. And so for when I'm managing a renovation, I want to get like, I usually buy from wholesalers or if I'm buying foreclosures or short sales or, you know, REO stuff, I'll be using a realtor. So a realtor for the REO stuff, right? Like real estate owned, they, they will be like from the banks, they will be doing the, uh, they can get you pictures they can do you walkthroughs. You can get uh, renovation quotes. And that's what I want is I want a contractor to walk the property mm-hmm. before I buy them. Uh, spe- like that's the tricky part when you get into wholesalers, cause they want the quick close. So you need to have someone to bid out these properties very quickly. And in all honesty, it's a numbers game. Um, you do some quick calculations on the neighborhood um, and you do like, you get a real software to run your comps. You're like not using the Zillow, not using the Trillia, not using the realtor.com because those are just pie in the sky numbers. They could be off by lots. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be getting like an REI Pro or um, a PropStream or one of these software problem programs to run your comps. If you can run these numbers and you can yeah. analyze the neighborhood and stuff and you have a real contractor quote and you have real fo- photographs, whether you got your contractor to do it, you paid for um, some boots on the ground, gave them some money, you have to pay. I pay everybody. No one should work for free ever. Yeah because they won't do keep doing it for you. And you, yeah. these are important people to you. So always pay everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's I've heard this problem so many times. People like ask, oh, their contractor, just go take a peek at stuff or take a peek at this. But they're like, and they don't get paid unless it, just give them 50 bucks. Even yeah. if they're just like, run, just something like keep it. They, they're paying yeah. for their gas and everything else. But if you have ran your numbers, you have real legit construction quotes, real, real ARVs, you don't need to see the properties. You, mm-hmm. you don't. Um, it, it's a mindset to sometimes get past that, but you don't need to see these properties. It's like, this is what the ARV is. This is what the current value is. This is what the renovation is. You plug all the numbers in and there it is. Like you, That's all you need. Um, yeah. The problem is if you don't have a, a good contractor, a lot of times some contractors, this is now all of them, but a lot of them think of it as piecework. So they'll bid out the quote and like, this is the kitchen cupboards. This is the floor. This is the trim. This is everything. And if anything's out of scope of that thing, then there's an ad and your ad and you screw up all your numbers, right? Yeah. What you, you ideally want is someone to, uh, which isn't easy to find a contract that'll be like, this is the project. These are all the pieces of the project, but this is the project cost. We've built it built in um, uh, reserve funds and Oh crap money. And this is what the project will complete at. And then it doesn't matter when you get a good contractor like that. A lot of people will be like, why have we only got one contract, one contractor quote? And I'll be like, because they'll do it for this price. The other guys might be cheaper, but there'll be ads and ads and ads. And yeah. <laughs> and so and one, one price isn't necessarily the same. And I feel the same, right? You know, I, I really do rely on the trust too. Like, cause with, with the itemized quotes and, and things like that, if you're working with somebody you don't trust, there's, there's a million ways they can, they can try and, you know, pull a fast on you. So reputation is so important, which makes it so hard when, when you're, you're dealing at a distance, you don't know if you found a reputable one. Uh, you, you, you might think you have, and then you might be wrong. Um, where are you getting the leads for these guys most of the time? <laughs> I knew that was going to be the next question. And yeah. um, so a lot of it, you know, bigger pockets, 
Facebook groups for that investing in that city, right? And a, a lot of people, if you're asking for a mortgage broker uh, or a uh, a property manager, they will share those quotes openly. A property manager can handle a lot of properties. It won't affect their business in the slightest mm-hmm. if you use their property manager. And maybe they have a kickback program, whatever. The trouble is getting good contractors because people who are very good and very active investors, a contractor can only handle so many projects. Yeah. And if you're good at raising money and you're good at doing the whole thing, you're going to fill up that contractor's quota and you honestly it's 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 a competition thing but it isn't but if you have other people starting to slip more properties in it's they, it's it's against their business so often you have to take the the contractor quotes with a grain of salt because yeah. they may not be giving you their contractor they might be like this is a guy I used to work with but he's he, same thing i was just talking about he'll ads and he doesn't understand timelines and you know but he's like they may not want to give you their their best guy <laughs> yeah that's that's fantastic uh wisdom there glenn <laughs> i uh I can tell you from experience that uh, I feel that way. Like when people ask me, do I have a contractor? I'm like, I do. And I keep him busy all the time. Like he won't have time for your stuff too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, if, if they're good, they're busy. Yeah. Right. And then, if they're in, if they're not, then, you know, so, so that leaves us with a, with a little bit of a dilemma. Um, and I've, I guess I've sort of groomed a lot of the people that work for me. There was yeah. a reason maybe that, that they didn't uh, like one guy that works a lot for me, didn't want to run his own company and I actually made him my employee for a long time. And, uh, and I've, I've established some loyalty there. Um, but I guess like, you're doing this so often, you know, rinse and repeat in, in so many different areas. What, how do you protect yourself from, you know, when you're working with somebody new and you, you feel like, hey, this person's got availability, so they probably aren't as good as the rest. How do you protect yourself and protect your downside? Oh, there's, <laughs> it's a tough, it's tough. I can tell you what not to do is to not go on Craigslist and Google or search for a contractor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I hear all those stories about people just taking money and disappearing. Lots of scams. Well, that happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. Even, even uh, when I was doing my flips here in Ontario, I got uh, hardwood finishers off of uh, Kijiji or Craigslist. And you're just like, it, they're not the best guys. They left little mm-hmm. spatters on the wall and stuff like that. Um, but to protect myself, I thought that this was the way to do it. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you a little story of what I did. And I paid for um, references. So I mm-hmm. paid money. It was $1,000 per name for people who were like, good. And I thought, you know what? That That's a, it, if I can skip the step of the pain of contractors going out of scope and going over time, and I would pay money to skip that step, right? To try and move right to the top. Uh, it, it worked. It worked okay. Um, I did get a lot of contacts from it, but really I'm on my fourth in the city where I'm talking about that I paid for the, the quotes or the, the names. I'm still on my fourth contract, but I did find amazing contractor, but I had, you know, the first contractor didn't understand timelines or budgets. The uh, second contractor w- under, was amazing with time and budgets, but their work wasn't sharp. Like mm-hmm. if you're doing a flip, like the, the cuts weren't sharp. So you're like, not good. The third one, a lot of times, some people like to take this on themselves. I let the contractors like sort of run and pick their own floors and stuff like that. They just didn't have good design. <laughs> yeah. It was ugly. It was so ugly. Um, and then the fourth one was just the whole package. And so, yeah, I went through four. Uh, you're like, could I go back to the second one? Probably. Could I go back to the third one and coach them? Maybe. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I went through like, you know, the first one was just bad. It just screws up your, your quotes. So there isn't really a good way. I think one way to do it, to keep everybody honest, especially off the start, and it gives you an excuse to not give them so much money is to do a fix and flip loan right on your first one. You're going to pay expensive money. You're going to probably, once you're experienced a little bit, fix and flip loan running around 9%, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but you might be at like 10 or 12 on your first one. Cause you don't have any experience or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> The way it'll work is you're going to have to give a deposit to the contractor to get started, and then there's draws. So you would go back to whoever the lender is and be like, hey, this stuff is done. And you go into the portal, tick, 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 this stuff's done. They send out an inspector, and the inspector checks the work. If the work has been done, they release it. It makes things safe. Mm -hmm. It it, it makes the things safe, but you're paying for all these services. But 
it is a way to keep everything in check. No one's getting paid for stuff that wasn't done because they won't release the money, right? Yeah. Um, you're not giving them all this money up front because you're like, this is, it's a lender's requirement. It's the lender's, yeah. not me, it's the lender. <laughs> and so That's you a good can, angle. yeah, you can chop it up. It's like, just like those different ways that people are like, oh, how do you make yourself, you know, uh, how do you make properties more resistant from getting sued or anything else? And you're like, well, leverage it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's nothing to sit for there's no money in the property right they're just you just do you can do stuff like that you can do the same thing with your renovations you can make it so you would have nothing in that property they'll give you 90 percent leverage as a foreign national canadian to go mm-hmm. buy these things and sometimes it's 90 percent of purchase 100 percent of the renovation sometimes it's still 90 percent of the renovation too you're not putting anything in you are going to be paying a lot of carrying costs a lot of setup costs but it is a way to evaluate a contractor and put them through the ringer because <laughs> they yeah. have to go through all these extra steps. And so just on the topic of the loan there, is that like a private lender down here or are those institutional lenders? They're hard money lenders. So yeah. you can go. Find- so like a semi-private institution, like not a bank, but it's still a, still an organized organization. Yeah. So a lot of times where you're going to find these guys is if you listen to American podcasts, they're the ones advertising yeah. on the American podcast. You know, they're, I won't do name drops, but they're, they'll be out there going, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, lending and stuff. That's who they are. The banks aren't the credit unions. They're not lending like that. <laughs> no. So, but you can use that type of, of lender. If you're doing a burr, you can use that up front and then you can, you can refinance with a bank. Yeah. Would that be true? Okay. Yep. Now, uh, this is obviously a challenge for Canadians. So uh, my, my initial experience down there, I just borrowed money in Canada and, and bought cash. Yep. But um, I know a friend, he's gotten uh, commercial portfolio loans on a big portfolio. He's got, he's got like 20 some odd in Phoenix. And uh, he, I think he's levered them up to like 65%. Yep. And as a Canadian, that was okay. Um, what, what are you seeing? Like what, what players in the market do you see that are, you know, have an appetite to lend to a Canadian um, where, where you're working? Yeah, it's more of the hard money lenders, um, yeah. some of the smaller banks. Um, yeah. And it's the banks, like in states closer to Canada, um, have more options, right? So you go, if you want to go invest in New York, right, just across the border from Ontario, there is more banks that are used to Canadians and have more mm-hmm. programs for Canadians. I don't invest in New York, but I know that that it does exist, right? Um, so there's the hard money lenders. There's the mm-hmm. mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers will find you a foreign national loan. Um, you can go into like LinkedIn and look for foreign national lenders. There's tons of them. People will list that because they know that that's what people are, you know, they're looking for. Um, like contact me. I'll give you my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's <laughs> No, that's awesome. I mean, that's su- super, super useful. Cause like the biggest thing is not inventing the wheel. Like I, I hate inventing the wheel. Like I like leveraging my network to, to find answers to things like, whereas I used to just like make all the mistakes myself, but as we've probably both done, you don't want to keep making those mistakes. They're painful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you generally find that these these different lenders, like if you're working with the smaller banks or you're getting the mortgage brokers that are finding um, finding options for you, they're okay with investment properties for Canadians? The problem they are all okay with it. Mm-hmm. The problem is the, the the way notes and stuff are serviced in the United States. They have to sell those notes, so it's mm-hmm. the secondary market that's buying these notes. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue, and it keeps changing as doors close during COVID. So do loan programs and loan programs get worse um, mm-hmm. for Canadians because we you got to understand the risk level that they're taking. Um, if an American, even an American in a corporation and but they're personally liable, they're doing um, uh, a recourse loan, which is like a Canadian loan. All, our, all loans in Canada are recourse. So yeah. if they're doing loans like that, if they don't pay, they can go after those people, right? Right. Depending on what kind of structure, you know, there's all the kinds of different walls and stuff. But they have recourse, whereas um, Canadians, they have to be non-recourse loans. So there's nothing. They only can go after the corporation. We're sitting in Canada. They can't come across the border to try and collect this money. So th- that's the risk they're taking. That's why they're going to m- move the interest rates up and the loan to values down. But if you can create relationships, you'll see as you go, the more you get, the interest rates will start to come down. And mm-hmm. as COVID, well, Americans still think COVID's over, I think. But <laughs> not here, though. But uh, they think, think 
it programs are opening. Um, they're now starting to offer up to 75% to Canadians. It's still mm-hmm. rare, but it like it, as I said, as COVID goes down, it goes drops. It'll be like 60, you know, they they'll start to be like just closed. Right. And then, and then yeah. they start to open up and come back up. And now they're like, okay, now we like, they're in the business to lend money. Right. Um, yeah. and if you can show, um, you know, a, some of them are starting to take Canadian credit scores, which is new. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll pull that stuff. Um, so if they, you can prove that you're going to pay um, history, you've been doing this for a while, things will get better. <laughs> um, partner with someone who's already doing it because <laughs> they, they yeah. probably already have a better relationship. Whenever I do my partnerships, I qualify for the loans or I do all the loan applications because I have a lot of properties and I mm-hmm. show that they, they go look them up. They're all performing. I haven't missed yeah. a no payment on anything. And so it's good. If they go and pry, their interest rate is like 2% higher. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so so what would be a reasonable expectation for someone like myself um, going, you know, say I find something in Fort Myers that I really like. Um, what would be a reasonable expectation for me from a loan to value standpoint? Say it was a single family home that I intended to rent out or burr. So if I'm gonna even in my sheets, if I'm just gonna do it, then you can be pleasantly surprised. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, uh, foreign national programs typically are sixty-five percent loan to value. Okay. So put that in your numbers. There are seventy-fives out there now, but typically it's sixty-five, right? Okay. Um, so that's what you're gonna mostly get. Um, when I was doing this years ago, it was more around the seven percent range. We're mm-hmm. now getting in the mid fives. Um, okay. But put in your, I put in my numbers in the mid sixes, right? Okay. So that you can be pleasantly surprised. And what the big thing that people aren't going to grasp is the fees to set up these loans. Yeah. There's usually like a lender fee of like or an origination fee of like $2,500 flat fee that they okay. don't even, everyone always talks to points, right? There's points on top of that. Okay. So sometimes you're going to be paying like this $2,500 lender fee, which is going to the lender. And then there's a broker and you're going to be paying the broker the points. So there's an extra level. And a lot of people yeah. run their numbers because they're, and they compare everyone based on the points, but there's the lender fees can vary too. So it's one of those things to ask when you're quote comparing loans, because yeah. you're sometimes you're comparing apples to oranges and you don't realize it because you think I'm comparing interest rates, loan to values um, and points, but there's actually the origination fee changes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot to pay attention to there. So not, not dissimilar from our private <laughs> lending in Canada. Like, I mean, yeah. if I'm work, I could, you could pay 2% and 2% uh, to your broker and your lender uh, if you're taking a private mortgage back home. So um, yeah, yeah it's, it, you got to know those little differences, those subtle differences between each, um, each country and each state. Of course, I'm, I'm sure there are more differences too. Yeah. Um, what's your, your typical structure? Like I, I know before when I did it, I had an LP, which held my properties. And then I had an LLC, which the, was the general partner on the LP. And, uh, you know, it was more or less a way for me to kind of treat it as personal income, um, rather than corporate income. Is, is that something similar to what you do or are you doing uh, things differently? You know what? It's really, I talk to my CPA every time and they, we do it differently depending on what we're, our goals of the thing mm-hmm. are. Um, yeah, the most common is an LP. Um, a lot of times we do flat LPs. Sometimes we do an LP with the LLCs underneath. We have one with five LLCs underneath. Sometimes we have a couple LLCs. We split the properties up because um, it's all about your level of risk, right? If you are, you know, labeled or judged, or I guess at court or whatever, and you're liable for this whole whatever happened they're going to go after that corp because that's what mm-hmm. you're doing you're canadian you, they're not coming after you they're coming after the corp so how many properties do you want to have exposed and what are the prices of the properties and it's all your own flavor right um right. so my typical thing is lps um as canadians another common structure is that a lot of people are have already been set up these corporations in canada right so what they'll do is if you already have a canadian corp this is what they'll set up almost every time is they'll put set up a c corp underneath your um your uh canadian corp and mm-hmm. then underneath that they'll put llc's um and so the llc's just set them up and put like a property or two or five or whatever your flavor is in each one and then the, but the money will flow mm-hmm all the way up into Canada and you don't even have to really deal with the IRS because it's all flown right into your corp in Canada. Right. So that, okay. that's one way to do well, it. Those LLCs still need to file, don't they? Or they don't file. Yeah. I think you're filing those. I, I don't, it's not what I do. <laughs> your accountant <laughs> manages it or talk to a professional accountant. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> um, who does cross border ideally. 
Yeah, I will share. That's another thing. You want to talk to me? I will share that contact too. I'll share property managers. I'll mm-hmm. share the, you know, you want lenders. There's a lot of things that we, you know, that these people, anyone can handle a lot of stuff. It's common knowledge. Like it's a, it's, you don't have to reinvent this wheel every time. That's just it, right? There's just no point. There's no point in inventing that wheel. You might as well just find the people, yeah. like find a way to add value back, right? Like go, yeah. you know, connect and, and do it. Like that's why a big reason why I started this podcast and I like started a meetup group is just, you know, let's stop reinventing the wheel. We can all learn from each other and, and share, try yeah. and make each other better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we go through uh, like numbers on one of your deals just to kind of show people what what you would typically get? Like uh, just back of the envelope total yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll pull this is my whole ward. My whole my wall here is all deals. Um, nice. So like, this is the thing. Like, um, do you want a home run or you want like a, a, a single, a double? Let's let's uh, go for a single. Let's like, and then okay. we'll we'll talk home run. Uh, how how a home right. run differs. Anyway, I got the numbers in my head. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that's good because I, I always do back at the envelope. So, so yeah. first off, what did you buy it for? So we're buying it. The one we're buying tomorrow, we're getting it for uh, thirty six thousand. We're buying it for. Um, okay. So we're buying it for thirty six, uh, forty uh, no, eight thousand into it, and then for we rentals. already have it. Yeah, we already have it appraised for sixty five as is. So that's okay. that's that's a good double, right? And you go well, you know. Uh, What'll it return? I think we said it was a 60% return on investment based on the rents. Uh, so it does pretty good, right? So that's a is, good deal. Is that like a 65% loan to value when you when you refi or you won't refi it? <laughs> that one's tricky. So normally that's stuff as a Canadian, you want to avoid all those numbers where I'm talking. Um, we're probably going to get, we'll get an appraisal over 65, but what you, you can't get loans on those as Canadian. So I have an American partner. Right. So those I I can fish around in those and we can do really good on them. And we with an American partner, you can buy these properties and you can refi it three months, not six months like a Canadian. You need six months to refi in a Canadian, three months with an American, and we can refi a higher leverage rate. So we can do 75 or 80 percent on a cash out refi with American. So that one we're going to put our money in money back out in three months. Money partner gets all the money back. Do it again. Yeah. So, so if you do seventy five percent on that, you're you're getting a hundred percent of the the partner's money back, and then forty seven fifty on top of that. Yeah. For, for your partner, now that extra money you're pulling out, do you guys just keep that in account for the property? Yeah, depending how much it is, we yeah. usually like to keep three months reserves, and then yeah. we'll split anything off top. Okay. That. So what what will this rent for? Uh, that one is currently rented for seven fifty. Um, when the tenant leaves, we're going to bump it to nine hundred. Okay, so we'll, yeah. we'll plug seven fifty for now. Um, do you experience much va- much in the way of vacancy? Uh, depends where I'm at, like what yeah. state. So um, in so this Ohio, deal, for instance, yeah, yeah. I'm not expecting uh, vacancy in yeah. in this deal. I usually put in five for everything, but cool. uh, and five for uh, reserve for repairs. In All this right. deal, this is an a weird one where uh, I can get my guaranteed uh, no repairs for a year and my um, tenant is locked in. Basically there's like almost an insurance policy on top of it yeah. that uh, will cover the rent almost like a turnkey, but not, it's not turnkey because we're doing renovation stuff. Right. But it, um, we, so we have that all guaranteed for one year. So on this one, um, but not always, right. Especially in other markets, we don't have that. It's the, the contractor guarantees their work for a year. And the okay. property management will you pay a little extra in fees for, to them, but they'll guarantee the tenant for a year, um, which isn't normally the case either. So that those are kind of yeah. uh, you know they not not you I can put it in my numbers for this one, but it's new, normally not there. Okay, well we'll, we'll put in some assumptions <laughs> here. Well, let's walk yeah. through them. So for taxes, approximately, what will you be paying on that property? Four hundred a year. Four hundred a year. Well, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, insurance on that. Uh, Five hundred a year. That's it, eh? Yeah. Okay. It's based um, on square footage usually, right? So I think the square footage, I don't have that in front of me, but I think it's like six or 700 square feet. So it's small, right? They're little, little three yeah. ones, right? Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll have to get your insurance contact from you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I can share that too. <laughs> nothing for utilities there? Either a tenant will pay everything? Tenant pays everything, yeah. Okay. Uh, and are you at risk, like in Ohio, if, if your tenant didn't pay their water bill, it comes back on the owner? Is that the same that there? Is- yeah, yeah, that is how it happens there. Okay, you have you have some sort of uh, recourse for you. No, <laughs> no, it just no, doesn't no. usually happen if you have a uh, decent tenant. It, it, 
the funny thing is it usually happens on the purchase more than from the tenant is okay. usually a lot of times we get like, you got to, what's one thing title does not check that. So uh, same with Ontario title doesn't check the water bills. So you got to check it. So we have got in the past that slipped through and we get the, a water bill from the previous owner mm-hmm. just stuck with it. There's nothing. You just really, pay it. You just pay it. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a, a, a nasty one. If you get that. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So for management, what are you, uh, what are you typically paying? 10%? Eight. 8%. Yeah. Okay. So on a yearly basis, that's really not very much. That's $637 a year on, yep. on a 750. Yep. Man, they're working for peanuts, but I guess as long as it's hands off, like yep. relatively and single families, they kind of are, they're, yep. they're pretty hands off. So, um, lawn cutting tenant would take care of that. Lawn, everything tends to take care okay. of Okay. And then, yeah, if we wanted to build in just a miscellaneous account for like 250 bucks for whatever. So I've put in here 10% for maintenance, which would be 796. Sure. I mean, you're not going to have that, but you know, just, just for argument's sake, we'll put it there. So with your new value at 60, uh, 65,000, a 75% loan and your amortization on that, what is it? 30 years? Yeah. Yeah. 30, 30. And then what kind of interest rate have you gotten on that? Well, we're actually buying cash and we're refining at the six month mark. Yeah, that's what I'm figuring. Yeah, so, yeah. so at we're that buying point. At th- oh, at that point, yeah. So we're gonna roll into I don't know five point seven something like that. Five point seven percent. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you'd be since you had an American partner. I thought you'd be like down at two like percent. <clears> well, range. that's where we're at right now. So I'm using right now. I'm using my broker who mm-hmm. already does the foreign national program. So that's me qualifying uh, mm-hmm. with a combination of letting the loan to value. So I get five point seven. We're we're still shopping this. We just we just got okay. the pro- we found the property last week. We got the partner recently. It's mm-hmm. we're, we're we haven't found that. Okay. Right now, I have an, uh, an offer at five point seven. But if you follow the Dayton Facebook groups, I just posted all over that this morning, <laughs> looking for lenders that'll do way less than that. But that's where okay. we're at right now. Where do you think you'll end up? Do you think you'll be at four four percent or something like that? Yeah, I'm thinking high threes or low fours. Yeah. There. So if you were at four percent, you'd have 183 bucks a month conservatively yeah. Um, yeah. in in cash flow, which that's nice. I mean, it's, it's, you, not, it's not much. And it, it, that's what a lot of people go really. But you're like, but you, you collect these properties, and like, this is like a double. This isn't one of the yeah. the or singular double. Like it's a property we can get into. It's just one that's fresh on my mind. Um, yeah, no, normally, that's great. So, so what's a so we've got those numbers there. So, what's a home run look like? Uh, let's. Which one do I want to pick? Uh, sure. Here, I'll talk about my duplex we bought and we just uh, finished tending up. So, we bought that for seventeen thousand brick duplex. This is the one I always show off at the, whenever I go places because it, it looks oh, wow. so sexy from the outside. Like two. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it, in in Canada, it would be to a semi-detached but it's the whole building so okay. it's like 3,500 square feet like a, two buildings they're all that's incredible so we got it for 17 grand we put sixty thousand dollars into it and uh we're hoping for the appraisal which we just appraised on tuesday we're hoping for a hundred and fifty thousand dollar appraisal okay yep and so if you get a hundred and fifty thousand are you going to be 65 percent on that yep Okay. So it's 65% on that. You're still going to be able to pull all your money back out plus 20,000. Yeah. Um, okay. What will that rent for across the whole building? Uh, 850 each side. So, uh, 1700. Yeah. That's, that's pretty solid rent. Okay. So 5% I'll leave for vacancy taxes on that. If you're like, uh, property taxes, 1200, 1200, uh, insurance, probably more on that one, right? 1400. Okay, so that's a big one. Yeah. Um, maintenance, so you typically don't budget 10%. What do you typically budget, 5 Well, I have zero for the first year, but yeah, 5% is what I put on. Okay. Um, and then management, you're going to leave at 8% and no, nothing for utilities. So tenants still no. pays everything? Tenants pay everything. And then no lawn cutting, tenants are going to pay for do that? Right. Yeah. So then you're just, yeah, maybe a miscellaneous as well. So we're going to have 150 valuation. Um, okay, so your numbers are looking... Looking pretty good here. Cap rate wise, you're you're at about a seven point nine seven at that valuation. So we don't really see those numbers in Canada too often. Yeah. And uh okay, so first mortgage you said um probably get sixty five percent, right? Sixty five, yep. Yeah, thirty year amortization. Yep. And you'll probably be five point seven percent then. Yep. Okay. So yeah, you'd have four hundred and thirty four cash flow on that. But the you know, the the real beauty of that is if if you feel like that's something that's 
well hedged, going to have a demand for a long time and you can just set it and sort of forget it. Like it's going to be easy to rent. There's so many variables, right? If, if a oh, property yeah. is super easy to rent, then I don't mind carrying it. Like I don't mind having, even if the cash flow isn't massive because yeah. I can just keep building. And if you're going to have nothing into this, then. And yeah, that's the thing. Like people are like looking at it and they go $400 a month or whatever, but you're like, this is refied and we got all our money back. Plus what do you say? 20 grand. Um, yeah. Plus 20 grand. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like if we went based it on our purchase price, if you based it mm-hmm. on our 17,000 plus the 60 grand renovation, yeah. like like a lot of people would do it in Canada and just put that right out, you know, you wouldn't be doing the full refinance. The numbers are really sexy, but we, mm-hmm. we've pulled all the cash out. And then yeah. once you have that money, you can do two properties at a time, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, just looking at this, I mean, you can't even calculate a cash on cash return. So, I mean, again, I think yeah, people do do uh, lose the uh, lose the perspective sometimes of the fact that you have nothing into it and you can keep growing. So is this lender going to cap you out or if you just keep performing, they'll just no, keep giving you loans? No, yeah. It's, it's asset-based lending. So it's not based on yeah. us. Yeah. To me, that seems fantastic because one day those are all going to be, you know, minuscule loans or you could just pay them out or sell a couple, pay a bunch out. And then you're just pure cash. That's um, the trouble with a lot of these 30 year loans. You don't pay down a lot of mortgage every year. <laughs> well, I was just looking at that. You're, pay, you're paying off 104 bucks a month to start yeah. on your, on your $97,000 loan. Yeah, so cause it's stretched out longer and it's a smaller loan. So you're like, right. it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could switch it to a, I mean, just for argument's sake, if you went with a 25, your cash flow only drops down to 389. And now you're paying off 150 a month. So yeah. your, your, your actual return on this, uh, we, we can't calculate The funny it. thing is with some of these loans is you actually can get better interest rates and stuff by doing the 30 year. Oh yeah. Um, so they, they want to lock it in for longer periods of times and they'll have like a prepayment penalty sometimes for three years or whatever. So they want you to like mm-hmm. pay this um, set amount for three years and then you can go into the aggressive yeah. payoff or whatever you want to do. And these are 30 year loans, right? They're not five years with a 30 year amortization. No, right? like 30, 30. So they're yeah. actually 30 year loans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, at least you know where you Canadian are. Right? There's a 525, right? So yeah. every five years it renews and it's at 25 uh, term. Yeah. I mean, you're hedged against, uh, against what happens with their dollar down there, right? If you're in 30 year loans, if their dollar goes nuts, their inflation goes nuts, uh, you're still set. And, and then at that point, maybe those properties go up in value significantly and your loan stays the same and your interest rate's still manageable. So that could actually work out really well for you. And, and what you do is then you, mm. once you have a property like that, you, you talk to your property manager and find out what are all the properties on that road that are a problem, like kind of dun- dungy or whatever. And then you go buy all those properties and you fix them whole up. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you ever need to do a refi, it, there's like all the comps are awesome on the road. Yeah. Well, but when you buy them up, you're setting low price points, right? For buying them up. I mean, oh, and then yeah. you're not selling them, right? Would you, do you recommend if you're taking that strategy, sell a couple of them after you, you renovate them so that you can set a precedent for, for value? Yeah. Even I feel like by doing some of these refi, I don't know if that actually is registered. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess yeah, you like sell it, them. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, you know, good question. If you know who your appraiser is going to be, send them a copy of of the uh, refi appraisal for one, just so you can <laughs> show them. I don't know. Yeah, that, that the question is, yeah, if it doesn't if it doesn't sell, does anybody ever even know about it? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I did have something else I wanted to to ask you about. So you mentioned some some tools that are very unfamiliar for Canadians, like a tool like iPro. You called it or REI Pro software. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is something that, that you can just pay a subscription to and, and yes. kind of run your own analysis on your own deals? Yeah, so it's going to be on all sales, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it, like if you go into it, it'll show a map of the whole neighborhood and what its approximate value is. Like, and that's, mm-hmm. those are kind of like Zillow numbers, right? They're, you know, they're, they're in the ballpark. They really don't really mean a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. But then you can go into a sales comparison and it'll show you like this is what's sold and it'll drop all the pins on the map. And so you're like, okay. And if you have your other maps of the school zones and stuff, you can see what is in the same, what are can parables, right? Mm-hmm. And then it gives you links because I think it's backend in Zillow. It gives you links to all the Zillow actual listings, like sell, solds, not for sale, solds. And so you can go look at it. You're like, is that renovated? Is it not renovated? Click on it. What, what level am I renovating to? Find, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of work, but you can, by the end, you have, you know what that property should yeah. sell for. 
right? Should appraise for who's going to, what the comps are going to pull for them. Yeah. Okay. So you recommend using a software like that if you're sort yeah, of getting started? The danger is if you don't, don't, um, you're using either a realtor's, a realtor, you should, if they give you a CMA, it should be pretty good. But if you're mm-hmm. using like realtor.com and you're just using, or you're using for sale, um, it's a different market down there. And like, I find a lot of times they're like probably sell for like 10,000 under asking, whereas mm-hmm. we're going into bidding wars here in Ontario. Um, so to pull your comps, you, you, you need sales comps. You don't want for sale yeah. comps and you don't want the Zillow estimates because well, Zillow has sale comps too, though. Right. Like Zillow will show you what stuff sold for. I don't know if it'll give you the report, but you can find what properties individually sold for. Yes, you can. So you can go through, but that's going to be painful. Like yeah, so you either have to aggregate the data yourself, or you can yeah. you can pay. So you're for the gonna tool. have to go click on your neighbors, and then it'll show you what it yeah. sold for last. But you also want recent sales, right? So you want to pull. Yeah. I do. I filter mine usually three months. I want three months of sales mm-hmm. history that's recent. Um, I don't want last year's numbers, yeah. right? Okay, so Glenn, <laughs> what are the common mistakes? The top mistakes you see people make that they they shouldn't be making. <laughs> our Canadian uh, friends investing in the U S um, well, we kind of touched on the one buying, getting realtors from Craigslist, um, contractors, the, you mean, con, or, oh, sorry, yeah. contractors, yeah. um, from Craigslist and buying for like some things they don't realize aren't deals, um, mm-hmm. or buying too close to market value, especially in Florida, because it looks like a deal and it feels like a deal compared to Canada. But you got to like, I'll just tell you this. I usually, what I'm looking for is my minimum deal criteria is the purchase price plus the renovation has to be less than the 65% loan to value, which means that often you're not needing to buy it like 30%, uh, you know, 30 from the ARV. Right. Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of times you go into like, Florida and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go onto the uh, foreclosure list, right? I'm going to pick from that. And you're like, oh, there's this house that's worth 220,000, but I can get it for 200,000, but it's not enough meat to be able to refinance. There's not Mm -hmm. enough. You're not really buying deals. um, Yeah. You're talking (laughs) if you want to be able to do the perfect burr, right? Because that's kind of what you're accustomed to pulling all your money back out. Yeah. All of it and more, right? So (laughs) you buy those ones. You're like, yeah, I made $20,000, but you're like, but my money's stuck in there. And you're like, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're going to run out of money unless you, yeah. you're, unless you're refinancing or flipping. Right. So like yeah. Stefanario's book, you need now money, soon money and later money, all three parts of the deal. And you're going to end up being all later money and you're going to get frustrated because you're not getting any money now. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah I mean, I mean in, in a way you're spoiled, right? Cause in <laughs> Ontario, we've just kind of accepted a lot of, a lot of people have that the perfect burr, at least in Southwestern Ontario with the way people are bidding up prices right now, isn't going to work right away. Although in a couple of years, you'd probably be able to get your money back out. Oh yeah. With the, 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 the appreciation keeps going. Yeah. It, yeah, you will. But in all honesty, this is where I'm looking at. As soon as I, I have a major renovation in Jacksonville right now, as soon as that renovation is done, the whole thing can just tank because <laughs> then I can get the better prices. I, 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 that's all, they're all relative. Right. And mm-hmm. you're like, I don't need, I, I don't expect it to actually tank. Everything's really strong right now, but they've been preaching mm-hmm. this for years. And I, like, I, I don't know how I, I do know how, but Ontario is in their, their numbers are getting, it's scary. We're now listed as number one, Toronto, the most unaffordable city in the world, higher than Dubai <laughs> for the oh, rent, how much money people make to what the houses cost in 2020, we passed Dubai. We're now number one for Toronto. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's, that's, <laughs> it's concerning the heck out of me because it's uh, to me, that's a tailspin towards socialism. And it's, it's really, it's really scary. Cause if we, if we go down that route where the average Canadian can't afford housing, what will they be willing to accept? And yeah. uh, we can't put ourselves in that position. So as an investor, I mean, I just, I just look at it. I'm like, okay, I, you know, on one side, I'm, I'm on the right side of it and that I own property, but um, I also want to hedge myself. You know, this is why I'm looking into things like the visa in case I need to make a move, um, you know, that, that just works better for, for my family. Um, you know, that's, that's something I'm going to consider. Are, are you actually considering moving, moving to the U S? 
<laughs> I would, but I, it's not going to happen. <laughs> no, so you're just going through the visa anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like I live in Cambridge and yeah. I was trying to convince my wife to move to Stratford and that was too far. So yeah. <laughs> I think moving to the States is like a long stretch. It's a long stretch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not, it's not something that I, I, would take lightly. It's just something I, I'd be open to. And, and I, you know, my wife, that's certainly not an easy conversation for us to have. So, uh, but you know, Hey, at least the warm weather down here helps for now. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll enjoy some of that and, and play some golf. We've got a golf lesson tomorrow. So, you know, can I enjoy nice. that? <laughs> um, Glenn, where do people uh, reach you if they'd uh, like to learn more about you and what you do? Sure. Uh, probably the best is just to go to, uh, you know, go to the podcast and check mm-hmm. it out. Uh, it's the Canadian investing in the U S um, it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play, SoundCloud, YouTube. You're on you YouTube. Okay. See, yeah. You mm-hmm. can actually see us on YouTube. Actually very, I don't know if you, what you found, but YouTube is not popular with mine. I think most people listen to it while they're driving, but uh, yeah, it's the same. <laughs> it, it's all, it's all about how your content is structured. And I mean, yeah. for me, like I start off with a, with a intro that I, you know, describe everything happening and I'm not exactly quick about it. Like that doesn't work as well for YouTube. Like YouTube yeah. is, it's all about short consumption. So I'm there, you're there. Uh, and we do have our loyal, you know, followers that always exactly. watch on YouTube. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's way more so Apple podcasts and Spotify and, yeah. um, you know, people listening in their cars but i've got the video there in case they want it so exactly and you know you never know sometimes you get a guest and they want to do like a screen share and show their spreadsheets and you're like gold that's you know yeah well, I do the in-persons usually, but uh, for now, I guess we'll be doing some of these. But um, yeah, it is it is nice to be able to get those numbers. I guess I got a little lazy in the editing. I didn't want to add them in, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we talk numbers. We make it so it's clear for people who are listening. So um, this has been awesome. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate everything you shared. And I think that's going to be really helpful for anybody who is considering you know putting some money on the other side of the border. Um, so I will, we'll definitely include the links to your podcast so that people can find you there. I'll include those all in the show notes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Glenn. I really appreciate you doing this. No, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, I'm looking forward to staying in touch. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one. 